All right, Empires of the Future, again. Right. Talking about the church in the time of change, and there are some troubling waiting, things going along. To <laughs> for months now. The NBA's moral failure in China. This is written by Miss Marcia Blackburn, who has been a Tennessee politician for a while now. She's great. Oh, uh, yeah, you would be familiar. Yes, yeah. Cool. And they met her, but, um, yeah, she's she's very popular in Tennessee. She used to be a congressman. woman. now she's a senator. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so she's kind of risen up. But, yeah, I, this is a small little article that she wrote. Um, this uh, this particular story is a few months old, um, but I think with, and I'm not sure how much you're aware of the NBA right now and what they've been doing. Um, this story needs to be told. So uh, the NBA has restarted their season. Mm-hmm. They are in a bubble. Um, right. What that means is they're in Orlando, Florida, and playing. Uh, they just finished, like, they did a few regular season, eight regular season games to kind of end the regular season. Um, and then they will start the playoffs soon. Um, and bef- I think this was before, I think this story came out before the regular season had started in the fall. Um, the um, um, Daryl Morey, Morey is a uh, the general manager for the Houston Rockets, mm-hmm. um, and he basically sent out a tweet um, supporting the Hong Kong protesters. Right. Uh, and the reason why that became such a huge deal was because the the NBA ever since Yao Ming entered the league, who played for the Rockets. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he was from China, um, and very. I mean, he was the most, one of the most. He he always made the All Star team because they would do these fan voting, uh-huh. and all the Chinese would vote for Yao Ming. Okay, uh, and he was enormous. By the way, it was oh, pretty yeah, legendary. Seven, Him versus Shaquille O'Neal was a big yeah. uh, point of discussion. And Yao Ming was good, but he always struggled with injuries. He was, yeah, you know, he, was he was a big he was huge. Big guy. Yeah, he was huge. Um, but so the NBA has slowly since Yao Ming entered the league been building ties into China uh-huh. to kind of expand their their brand into the Chinese market. Um, and one of the biggest things that came out of Maury's tweet was then LeBron James's response to your Maury, which was basically, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to basically shut your mouth. Yeah. You're ignorant um, and so the Chinese reacted to Maury's tweet with basically canceling a lot of the, they had some uh, NBA games that they were going to play in China and they were going to broadcast these to China. So China has basically um, reacted to this tweet with this idea that they are not, uh, they, I, I, I can't remember, and maybe this article gets into it, but uh, they uh, have, they have pretty much like, uh, somewhat restricted some of the relationship that they had with the NBA. And so the NBA is trying to play, you know, uh, trying to kind of cozy back up with China. And um, the problem with this whole issue is, is that Hong Kong has, China has, in a sense, invaded uh, Hong Kong and, and taken away their liberties and freedoms. And the NBA has no problem with this. Right. Um, I've, I've read a little bit about uh, Hong Kong is this unique uh, state unique. because yeah. they had this 100-year lease that right. basically uh, Hong Kong was under the uh, guidance of uh, 
I believe, Britain, Britain. for 100 years. Yeah. And those 100 years are running out, and so China is beginning to go ahead and take power. They have, uh, the police force is becoming more and more oppressive, taking away freedoms. And um, this is obviously a concern for the people of Hong Kong, and they do not, a lot of them do not want to uh, return to uh, a situation where China's controlling the country. Um, and so they're speaking out, they're asking for aid and these sorts of things. And, you know, we're in this situation now where um, companies are, uh, various companies, I mean, considering the NBA here as a company, uh, but many companies now are coming out with moral statements. And the theme for our episode here is uh, moral clarity in a lot of ways. That right. Very much today what is needed is moral clarity and uh, probably the summary of this story story would be if you want moral clarity it's not likely to come from a for-profit company right uh because all this seems to simply come down to money and a a lot of money the statement in here is that there is a four billion dollar fan base in china uh that the NBA is hoping, uh, right now, uh, the way I read this, China has still blacklisted the NBA from being yeah, viewed say, yeah. officially. Right. Um, so they can't be viewed in any sort of um, uh, legal way. I don't know how much pirating is going on in China. Um, but for the NBA itself, they don't want to have to work through any sort of pirated commercials right. or any of this they want open right. viewing so that right. they can get all those commercial dollars and and then not to mention merchandise sales and all the things that they would love to uh, get out of this um, but then in the meantime China uh, has been trying to quiet reports of state sanctioned abuse of student athletes um, around the same areas where uh, Iger Muslims and other ethnic minorities are being murdered en masse. I mean, put in concentration camps. Put in concentration camps. Uh, re-education, uh, political re-education is a very common thing in China right now. Uh, compulsory mm-hmm. that people are put into uh, into camps and locations to be re-educated. Uh, and they call it in this, quote, one of the most extensive internments of civilians in concentration camps since the Holocaust. Yeah. Quote. Um, and the NBA uh, mostly is looking just to see where it can make money. It's not just the NBA, but it's also Hollywood. They, both, yeah. both entities are trying uh, – in, in you know, they make – of course, LeBron James is doing a Space Jam 2. Okay, and most yes. of the money made on that movie will come from China. Hmm. Um, I think, if I can remember correctly, they made a War of Warcraft movie. Right, yes. It made more money in China than in the United States. It yeah. was actually proven to be profitable, not because they made any money in the United States, because it was profitable in Asia. Yeah. And I so mean, you have Hollywood, a billion dollars, or you, you have a billion yeah. people who have not... Um, I mean, one of the things I think about that is that Americans have been kind of over-entertained for... 50, 60, 70 years. Meanwhile, Chinese have not. Right. Uh, there's been flow of movies and things for a while, but that's just a big market of people who... Um, I mean, the World of Warcraft is a really funny movie to bring in because I 
I have been as into World of Warcraft as anybody who ever was. I was part of two betas when the, the game first came out. I had no interest whatsoever in that movie, and then I heard it was not very good, so I've right. never watched it. But it was profitable. I actually made money off because of China. Right. If it had right. just been released in the United States, it would have failed. It would have, it would have not made any money. Yeah. And, and whoever made it, whatever production company would have made it, it would have lost money. But they mm. ended up making money because of China. So you right. have two entities, especially Hollywood and the NBA, because they have similar politics. And that's mm. where this comes in. And that's why the story is relevant today, because... The NBA, since they started their bubble, has gone um, all in with Black Lives Matter. Um, not just simply like they, there's kneeling during the national anthem, but they have Black Lives Matter on the court, like branded, and all the players on their back of their jerseys. Um, there's a Black Lives Matter um, branding on the jersey, and then each of the jerseys, the players' names. And I think they're trying to phase this out was a different, like, political issue. Either it would be education mm-hmm. or police brutality or whatever, whatever, whatever. So you have a, a, the NBA who's gone all in on social justice, but then their season started off with them supporting China and, and actually opposing justice for Hong Kong. Because, again, like you mentioned, the, the way that the, the agreement was made in 1995, I believe, was when they, they opened up when Hong Kong was was basically the British got left Hong Kong, that I think there was a what seventy five year, or it, it was a hundred or seventy five years yeah, that remember. Hong Kong had independence from China. Right. Well, that has slowly now recently become where China's like not going to wait. Yeah. Um, and this is a huge issue. Uh, it seems like a lot of European countries um, have kind of again just kind of like put their arms up in the air this massive social justice issue going on and no one's really saying anything. And then when Daryl Morley comes out and supports right. an injustice going on, people say he's in the wrong. Right. Well, a lot this, on the other side of their mouth, they're talking about police brutality. Yeah. What do you think China is? Right. <laughs> That's brutality against a group of people. It's the, almost the same issue that you have in the United States that yeah. you're actually supporting the brutality it, and I think it needs to be called out for. It. And I think, it, and you know, LeBron James in my mind, who's one of the the players characters in this story, because he basically came out and said Maury was an idiot and didn't know what he was talking about. Um, I think he's kind of a, a, a face of this because he has been one of the most outspoken athletes mm-hmm. in the in the last several years. I think someone had said that LeBron James almost would rather be like Muhammad Ali than Michael Jordan. Because my uncle Jordan was not very political, he even said that you know he really didn't get interested, wasn't interested in politics. He was just a basketball player. But LeBron James has always kind of been interested in politics. Um, so for LeBron James to be very vocal when it comes to black-related issues, but they could then actually call out someone who is supporting uh, Hong Kong citizens and their struggle for freedom, he actually says that he's an idiot and doesn't know what he's talking about. And so, and LeBron James actually supports. The Chinese government, which is right. communistic, it's created com- concentration camps for Muslims. It has silenced political opposition. Um, is it's just like it, it should be a, a huge story, but it really hasn't been. And I think it does create a, a, an issue, like you just said, it's just moral clarity. It's like yeah. being selective on what you think is injustice and what isn't injustice, based off what, to be honest, what affects your bottom line. Um, the NBA has has business interests in China. 
Um, Hollywood has business interests in China. Uh, corporations like Nike and a lot of these athletes who make who have uh, sponsorship deals with these companies have interest in China. Right. And it just it creates this. That's to be honest, a, a, a hypocrisy by saying you support this injustice, but while this injustice is going on, you you actually speak in favor of those who are actually doing the injustice. Right. And so really, what is called for is, um, look, these, these issues uh, may have some complications. You, you will need to spend some time looking into what is the relationship between China and Hong Kong and uh, what is the Chinese government exactly doing. Um, but if you're not there on understanding that and how to respond to it today, well, that's forgivable. But if you are not working on getting yeah. to a point to where you can speak, because if you are involved, uh, we're all responsible for where we are involved and what we have a stake in. And, you know, for instance, in our country right now, we're we're asking ourselves, what would it take for uh, racial equality of opportunity to exist? That is, that is a perfectly reasonable question to yeah. ask, and we're in the process yeah. of asking that. Uh, I, I guess what I would say is the final word about this story for me is there are more questions that if, if I were involved in any, at any level in the NBA, there are more questions to be answered about how we are courting China, how far we're willing to go, and uh, I hope that I hope that people both who are playing in the league and, and people who are organizing the league are asking those questions because otherwise it's just irresponsible. It is it, it, I mean, it, unethical. Honest, honestly, and I think this is, has been talked about enough, China is a communist country. It is more like the Soviet Union than it is Britain. And if this, if this was the 1960s or the 70s and the Major League Baseball uh, wanted to expand into Russia – um, and so they ended up getting some players from Russia to play baseball uh, or whatever. And then they started to develop these, these connections and relationships with different issues. And, and this was a big market, and there's a, a lot of money to be made. Um, it would be, it'd be nuts. Like, we, yeah. would, we would have issues with it, right? right. And we would call it out for what it is. It's like, what are you, why, are you, why are you supporting a, a, demo, a, a, a dictatorship, which is what China is? Um, and who basically people have very little freedom. Um, and they've now made the decision that, because Hong Kong basically is very similar to Taiwan in the way that it's structured, uh, even though China believes that it has ownership over Taiwan, there is a separation. The U.S. supports Taiwan. And for, for China to just kind of take over Taiwan... And, and then us saying, yeah, you know, we have interest in China. We don't want to really want to rock that boat. Right. Like, that's just it's absurd, yep. you know. Um, and and I think it does, like, even though, like, you have to be careful. You don't want to just because someone makes, you know, has the wrong opinion or wrong view on this one issue doesn't mean that it discredits their view on another issue. Okay, but I think this is a an issue that um, – Corporations, uh, entertainment industries, sports um, industries, like need to be very careful about, you know, expanding our ventures to make more money in countries that honestly um, 
we 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 don't want to be so dependent on those countries that you're not even willing to 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 state or or courageously state that's wrong, mm-hmm. and because that's wrong, we're not going to invest here anymore. Right. It it seems to me to be a clear case of uh, out of sight, out of mind, as far as if if you have the opinion that the United States is a country that uh, is so broken that you are uh, afraid just that the whole apparatus is just going to come down on you. That actually happens in a place like China China, China. day by day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Where for holding a certain religious viewpoint, I mean, Christians are killed every day in North Korea for being Christians. It's not legal. Uh, And... This is the case today for many minorities in China that you you would uh, be glad to end up in a re-education camp rather than to just be put in a room and killed. Right. And that, that is the case right now. Right. And it's, it's just... There's no protesting in China. Right. There is no built rights. There is no freedom of speech. There is no freedom of assembly. Uh... There's no in China right now is actually they've you know you can't um, churches can't meet legally. Uh, they're actually trying to to rewrite religious books mm-hmm. with the with the Chinese worldview. So like they're they're wanting to publish a Bible, but that's the Chinese communist version of that. Mm-hmm. And this is China. Yeah. There is no freedoms. Um, and and for for a company or for a, a sports industry like the NBA, which champions freedom of speech, I mean the whole bubble is about freedom of speech. Yeah. You can kneel or you can stand. You have the right to do that. And then then for them to support a nation that doesn't allow that for anyone in their country is, it's just I think it's completely uh, a, a huge oversight. Right. And I think you're right. It's out of sight, out of mind. This is a Chinese issue. We're just. We're just the we're just America trying to make a buck. Yeah. It's just it, it's just it just comes off really bad. A little too convenient uh, yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. And making Absolutely. movies, especially knowing, yeah, we don't really care if we make any money in the United States, but we're just doing this to make money in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you're never gonna make a movie that calls out China mm-hmm. because if you do that, that you know what will happen. The Chinese government will not let you show your movies anymore. So you're not gonna be honest. You're not gonna be. Uh, um, you're not going to be courageous in stating a, a, an, an evil or an injustice in a particular area of the world because you're just unwilling to publish that because you know if you publish it and you make it public that China will no longer let you do your business in their country. But you could do it in the United States. I mean, you can make a movie that discredits the United States, discredits the, the government, yep. and you can publish that, and yep. you can make money off of it, and no one's going to throw you in jail. Yep. Um, and so it's using the freedom that you have in the United States – and using it very poorly and yeah. unwise. Yeah, I agree. So. And so the second story is related. It's called Radicals Have a Point About Racial Liberation. <laughs> it's a, an op-ed piece by Barton Swaim out of the Wall Street Journal. And the theme, uh, again here, moral clarity uh, continues. Um, he asks, why were statues of men who achieved victories for racial equality torn down in the same protests that uh, and or in the uh, looting, excuse me, uh, that went on in some of the cities, for instance, Ulysses S. Grant in San Francisco, Frederick Douglass in Rochester, New York. Um, 
Many media reports treated the incidents as, quote, unthinking excesses or perhaps retaliation by white supremacists. Uh, But he uh, he has some factors that he believes are behind this. And uh, he calls out an ideology that's present in many of the young. And here are the factors uh, that he, he believes may be behind this. Um, first, he calls out his parental coddling. Uh, second was lassitude born of affluence and in an empires of the future uh, definition here, <laughs> to look up lassitude. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a helpful word, uh, weary and listless. Uh, so apathy born of just weird, weary, tired uh, feelings. Yeah. And so uh, parental coddling, uh, weariness and listlessness, just purposelessness. Right. Um, and then the need for some kind of righteousness, some kind of righteous feeling in the absence of religion are uh, what he kind of identifies as driving this. And so he's going to come to a couple of rules here. And I think it's been strange um, for people like you and me. It's been fairly quiet around our town. Uh, there there have been, uh, as we've mentioned in the past, some um, a little bit of attempts at, you know, maybe uh, looting at Walmart here in town. Or, but this pretty much quickly shut down. Yeah, and so yeah. many of the things that have happened in cities like Seattle, Portland, Chicago, mm-hmm. New York have not uh, been happening here, and so it's hard for us. Um, I mean, very frankly, I have watched even less like visual news media than usual in the last few months. Just yeah. got tired of yeah. any of it, yeah. um, and so I haven't actively um, dissected it or thought. Uh, as, uh, trying to identify strains like he has in it. Have you thought very much about what might be behind all that beyond just basic chaos? Or yeah, I, I think the I think some of the you know, he, he mentions these two ra- uh, racial justice rules that I guess basically were stated by liberal progressive academics, you know, since the twentieth century, right? Um, and and those rules haven't necessarily gotten passed down uh, as doctrine to um, you know these younger millennial generations, the protesters. Um, they've kind of just clumped all of these this uh, initiative and rules that have been stated in the past as not actually helping black people at all. Uh, so these established doctrines haven't really done anything uh, and I guess what they've done is they have associated US uh, Grant and, and Douglas as just a part of these uh, recycled rules um, and these are they are associating them with establishment and power and I think they they want almost a, a destruction of what's what was and a, and, and a rebuilding of something brand new Um and I do think that there is a sense where I think you're right. I think there is a sense where they there's there's no there's no purpose. They don't really know what they're trying to accomplish long term, um, and they they don't have a sense of higher purpose. And so, how does one 
achieve righteousness or how does one achieve uh, a sense of holiness, well, then you topple something, yeah. right? You, you, you get mad about something so much that you push something down that you perceive as a part of some type of established power or old guard. And, um, and, so I think there, I think underneath all of this, I think is something that has very little to do with, um, George Floyd police brutality. I think it has a lot more to do with the death of the American dream. Um, I think that this, the sell was go to college get a degree and you'll get a high paying job. And if you read some articles coming out, uh, just recently and COVID has expediated this, but, um, millennials especially have been struggling to be able to pay off student debt. They've been struggling because they can't pay off student debt. They can't buy houses. Um, they can't find long-term employment. Um, so based off all these factors, they are they are, they are basically rejecting this idea that you work hard, you go to college, you'll get a job, you'll be able to buy a house, and you'll have the American dream. And they're like, well, I'm now in my mid-30s, and I don't have a house, I still have student debt, and I don't have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So they're now distrusting what they've been told. Um, and I think COVID has just expediated this. And so what they were maybe able to do and build – um, now have now been completely destroyed because they've been laid off that job. Um, now they don't have that money to be able to save up for that down payment on the house. So all of these factors are just leading into this idea that the entire American capitalistic structure and system is completely broken and it doesn't offer what they were told it was going to offer. Yeah, and I, I can certainly see uh, some of that uh, generalized frustration about... Yeah. Uh, how you can pour in and put in a lot of effort and not get much in return except for a, a big standing debt mm-hmm. and that is just rising yeah. in interest. And, and, um, no, and no, like, real plan. There's, uh, we, were, we were listening to Dave Ramsey recently and talking about, like, student loan, loan forgiveness. And those programs are, like, like, absurd. Like, they get a million different people that apply for them and they only give out, like, less than a hundred. And so like, there's just, there's very little, um, it seems path by which students, former students can pay off this debt. And what's, what's the, even the most heartbreaking thing is they have debt and they don't even have jobs from the debt. Right. So it's not like they're doctors working in the medical world with high debt. Mm -hmm. They're working at department stores or waiting tables that they didn't even need to college degree to be able to do those jobs. And those jobs aren't paying enough for them to be able to pay off the debt. And that it just keeps interest and interest builds up and more. And they, after five, 10 years, they haven't even put a dent in it. And so therefore, how are they going to buy a house? There's no way they can buy a house. So, and now because a lot of houses are, if houses are for sale, the people buying the houses are baby boomers who have the cash. Yeah. And are able to take advantage of the low rates. And millennials don't have the money. And they're staying in apartments longer, staying with family longer or friends longer. And that, like, that continual, as you would see, lack of path to any type of adulthood, as you would see that, right. 
just what it's leading to depression and anxiety and yep. leading to this anger mm-hmm. that I think is being shown with simple examples of knocking down statues. You're like, why would yep. they knock down that statue? Right. It doesn't seem like that makes any logical sense with history. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're working off this idea of these racial justice rules that are presented here. They're working off just complete frustration and anger. Sure. So, so I think there are uh, multiple uh, elements of this, and, and you've identified. Uh, I do think that there is anger over racial injustice. There is anger over economic injustice. Yeah. I do think in our country there needs to be more of a discussion about class. I don't think we talk very much about uh, class for whatever reason. Um it's far and, more visible here. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's and that uh, that sort of idea that well, as an American, you can move between you know you can change your social class. Like well, it's not quite as easy as you might right. just throw it out there and right. say it. Right. Um, and and being more open about that, it is it is not seeming to help to not talk about it as we uh, have not done recently. One thing I like about what he does is in this article is he says that here's here's one thing to remember though is that a group of promises were sold back around the 1970s and the current set of ideas relies on those promises and really what he says is you were oversold on those promises back in the 1970s. Uh, so let me state his two rules but then um, take go back a couple steps that, that he takes, because I think this is a, a reasonable thing to understand. No matter where you, you stand on this, there is a question that you're dealing with. Um, so number one, rule number one, adherence to the doctrine that racial equity, uh, adherence to the doctrine that racial equity requires more and greater expansions of the welfare state and civil rights law. That basically, uh, if we're going to have equity across race, it's going to require a bigger government doing a lot more work. Which is what you saw with Johnson's Great Society. Right. Uh, you saw with the um, Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 68. Um, you saw with welfare reform during President Clinton's administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and you uh, have... Affordable the, Care affordable, Act. Affordable, that's right, I was going to have to say. Affordable Care Act under President Obama. You you see the playing out of these. this mm-hmm. rule number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, government at all levels has a duty to monitor the business and social practices of citizens through an array of civil rights divisions and commissions empowered to prevent any form of discrimination. Uh, summary of that is uh, speak in politically correct terms or be canceled. Yeah. Uh, that that there would, there's a desire to have monitoring uh, done so that people would speak in a politi- politically correct manner. And you have institutions like the ACLU. Yep. You have, um, you know, a whole department within the executive branch on um, housing and urban development. You have a whole program that's trying to use government money to provide affordable housing and, and, and these type of things. Um, you have um, other grassroots institutions that are trying to... Um, Enforce and provide different, uh, you know, programs and other things to for there to be equality amongst race in the United States. Um, and so, I mean, this has been playing out for for decades, right? Within just about every city. 
in the United States. But yet, here we are. Right. <laughs> and so the, the set of promises that are at the root, uh, coming out in the 60s and the 70s, are basically the summer of love type promises, free love promises, which is, look, you need to do what you want mm-hmm. because that'll make you happy and the consequences will be bearable. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the promises that, that went along with the free love movement, that if you would be happier if you just did more of what you felt like doing and tossed off responsibilities. And, and it is important to see, uh, I, I certainly agree with him on this, to, to see the fruit of those promises years and years later in some of the movements that we're seeing right now that have this assumption, well, sure, I'm already doing as much as I can of what I feel like doing, taking all these freedoms, quote-unquote freedoms, depending, and then tossing off responsibilities as I see and feel fit. Um, And one of the casualties is the family. Yes. Uh, And this has been throughout human history. Uh, There's this fundamental issue, especially... How do you keep men taking care of their families? Yeah. Uh, a deadbeat dad is not a new concept of the last 50 or 100 years. It right. has been a danger of uh, men in particular. Um, and, and look, if you do any sociological research, uh, fatherless homes mean yeah. poverty, yeah. mean lack of education mean economic distress mean crime and and the question that he asks in here how is how is this these rules how have these served black americans and he says not well uh black americans lag far behind in income levels and educational attainment and are both victims and perpetrators of more crime than white americans and he calls up uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan from a uh, conclusion that he made in 1965 uh, and that was that generational poverty among black Americans was not the res- oh, sorry was the result of not of an insufficiently generous welfare system but of the dissolution of the black family in this country and Moynihan was dismissed as a racist for those comments in those times uh, what I would say is, is you're not this is not a call to say hey get it together it is to say if if we are not working on helping the families of all peoples in yeah. this country to have a better structure, then this will not get better. Yeah. Um, and one one thing back to class that we can talk about is across across racial divides. If you are in poverty in this country. Divorce rates are huge. Fatherless rates, no matter your race. Fatherless rates are enormous for those who are in poverty. Uh, Fatherlessness is an enormous problem in this country, and one that I think was being more considered. Uh, I can remember seeing and hearing uh, work done on this when I was a kid that uh, people knew this was a problem, and I, and I think for the most part people still do today. Um, all I am asking for is that as a component of any programs we are bringing up, that working on the family is fundamental. 
I have heard, and I was trying to think of the, uh, but I have heard that one of the issues with the Great Society uh, passed by Lyndon Johnson and was it 64, 65, um, was that it expanded welfare, um, but one of the things, the caveats of the, of the policy was that um, basically single, single moms um, would get, continue to get access to welfare money even if the father wasn't in the home. And it created this window or, or hole by which even if you didn't have a father in the home, you were able to still get money mm-hmm. from the system, the government. And what I've read is that income inequality in the United States between blacks and white has expanded has has expanded from directly from the great society that mm-hmm. um, before sixty four and sixty five, um, when there was more fathers in the homes, there was less income inequality than there is now with mm-hmm. less fathers in the home. That this is actually a big piece and big issue. And I'll I'll give props to President Obama because he had an initiative about fatherhood. Yeah, and good. he had the commercials and he was talking about the importance of fatherhood. And he basically saw himself as a model yeah. of fatherhood. And I think that was that was huge. And I think there needs to be more of that. And I don't think it needs to be brushed aside as some type of uh, uh, just ignoring um, income inequality, making it um, – if you – like you talked about this, Daniel Patrick Morihan as a, as a racist because he mentioned that, that fought lack of fathers in the home was one of the reasons for this, this massive – um, generational poverty amongst Black America, but I think it is a major issue, uh, and the government can't fix it. I mean, you can't you can't simply snap your fingers and then fathers are in the home more. Um, this is a um, this is a grassroots community initiative. This is like you're talking about um, you're talking about drugs. Um, you're talking about um, uh, crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about um, justice reform. All these issues that need to be championed and need to get um, – there needs to be some policies and people that are thinking through some of the issues and, and trying to uh, rehabilitate people and trying to get them families back together um, or educating high school, middle school age mm-hmm. uh, kids on the importance of the choices that they make and how they impact children and, and other people in, in the family – um, and just snapping your fingers and giving more money is not, as, right. as is just shown, is not working. Right. It's not working. It hasn't been working since the mid-60s, uh, and it will continue not to work. Uh, and even like giving, uh, even when we talk about affirmative action, you know, where um, giving more college opportunities for you know, young uh, black uh, students, that hasn't necessarily fixed it either because just because you get into college, all you're doing really right now is getting the opportunity to get more debt, yeah. not necessarily get a degree. Um, so that's not even fixing the problem. It's not like more um, black Americans are getting college degrees and then for the income inequality is, is becoming less. I think this is a, a, a big issue. Um, and... I mean, I don't really know what the path forward on that. Well, I think the takeaway is, as somebody who uh, was raised by a single mother, I was with my dad every other weekend growing up, uh, There, you can have long conversations about why fatherlessness is such a problem, how it how it hurts you, uh, particularly as a young male, but there's a whole other set of issues that can come from young 
uh, young girls who grow up in a home without a father. Um, one bit of great news we have about this is obviously encouragement, first of all. If you're a man, work to get a family. If you're a father, fight for your family. Yep. But secondly, in the church, any older male, any woman who is uh, a role model or watches out for the younger people in, in your church, man, it matters. Do it. Yep. Uh, meet with them. Take take a young man or young woman from your church out to dinner this Sunday or as soon as possible. Spend time with them pouring into young lives. I could tell you names, uh, Ron and Melanie Reed, uh, Fuzz and Robin Strickland, people who poured into me as a, as a young man that helped to make me who yeah. I am. And right. that is something that the church, that in the wisdom of God that he designed, that, that he knew this world would be full of broken families, but that in the church we have a ready-made, uh, healing power and, yeah. and, and relationships that are available. Uh, it, it is, it is long and involved. This is a day by day, week by week thing that you do, just building these relationships, maintaining them, but in, encourage a young person, be there for them. It makes a big difference. It is the difference between someone making it and, and someone not, uh, between someone learning how to, uh, be fruitful and, and to make something out of themselves in the society and, and being in despair. I mean, uh, hopelessness is a real issue. Mm-hmm. Despair is a real issue in our world today. We started talking about purposelessness in here. That's a real issue. You and I see it a lot in yeah. in college students who are tired of doing work that no one cares about for an uncertain future, mm-hmm. but who don't know what else to do because mm-hmm. that's what they're told. And you see that a lot, and it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, we all need uh, people to encourage us in our life, but particularly yeah. uh, young people and especially college students. Yeah, and, I, and you, know, uh, you know, when I moved up to Indiana and got to, started ministering with college students at USI, I started to recognize a growing pattern that a lot of students coming to USI came from divorced families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, man, you know, the, the, the stress... Uh, when it comes to uh, living, uh, to being in a, in a, in a broken home, mm-hmm. right, that, that, that brings stress. But then, you know, coming to college and a lot of these students having to pay for college through loans, mm-hmm. not having that financial support. I've met students who honestly um, have more financial savability than their parents do mm-hmm. a lot of the yep. time. Yep. And, um, you know, that, that leads to so much um, anxiety because when your family's not intact and grounded, it's hard to find ground on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have any, if you don't have an anchor by which to tether to, it's just a real struggle to yep. be able to create that on your own. Now, some do. They are motivated enough. They're like they're hardworking enough. They're they're willing to to kind of go the extra mile to overcome some of their parents' mistakes. But that's rare. You yep. don't see that all the time. Um, and I think. That simple, that simple like decision to go. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to keep my family together. Uh, is such a it's such a huge decision that has so many generational impact. Um, and I just don't, I think you're right. I think the the importance of investing in young men and young women, and the importance of what it looks like to be a, a godly mother, a godly father, um, and how to keep your family intact. 
and which gets goes into like self sacrifice or mm-hmm. sacrificing your wants for the needs of another, uh, and that's why you have broken homes because you have people who have a difficulty to focus on other people because obviously they don't have the ability to do that spiritually. Right? The, the right. desire and that naturally is to focus on yourself. Yeah. And so that leads to making decisions like sleeping with someone else or, um, you know, doing drugs or being, becoming a, 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 an ag when it comes to alcohol or anything else, which leads to divorce to yep. other broken yep. home issues. Yep. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think this is a, a massive issue. I think the government is ill-equipped to, to, to solve this problem and that's why they keep on throwing money at the problem and this is where the church and Christians need to come in to encourage those fathers and those mothers to to to, to keep their family together and, and to focus on their on their kids and, and doing what's best for them but also to to focus on the marriage and to work through what's the best for my wife or what's best for my husband how do we focus on each other and not on myself I think it's so important and you're just not going to get that in some uh, governmental institutional programming it's only going to come through God's word yeah so yeah yeah All right. I got nothing else about this yeah Yeah, so this has been uh, Empires of the Future and we will uh, see you in the future there you go All right.